So Money Episode 364, Megan Perry. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Fantastic to have you with me. Very honored that you've chosen to spend the next 30 minutes on this podcast. I promise it won't disappoint. Our guest today is a leader in the sports and entertainment industry. She is entering her eighth year with the NBA. Megan Perry is here. Megan Perry primarily focuses on the WNBA, and there she's responsible for scouting top college prospects in preparation for the WNBA draft. She also manages player appearances, and you might recognize her voice because she actually serves as a basketball color analyst, covering games on CBS Sports Network, the A10 Network, and NEC Front Row. Now, prior to joining the WNBA, Megan had a very successful career as a basketball player herself. She played Division I at Cornell University, where she helped lead her team to the 2008 NCAA Tournament and Ivy League Championship. So excited to have her on the show. We learned from her how the WNBA, with her leadership, is trying to enhance its visibility and give its players a lot more credit. Her biggest financial mistake, it happened when she first moved to New York, and it has something to do with her rent. And Megan's a spender. She'll be the first to admit it. She loves to spend money. She's conscious of that. She tries to rein it in. How she does it is very impressive. Here is the lovely Megan Perry. Megan Perry, welcome to So Money. I am excited. Excited is not even a good word. Like There is no word to describe how jazzed I am to learn more about what you do. You are a woman of the WNBA responsible for scouting top college prospects for the WNBA draft. You are a former athlete yourself, former basketball player, marrying the worlds of sports and and business. So much to learn from you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I'm glad to join you and I can't wait to dig in and and (laughs) talk. I can't wait. So listeners like to hear how I get connected with my guests. And the two of us were, we were at a dinner hosted by Chase and Rebecca Minkoff back in November. It was a kind of a cool all-female dinner. It was very intimate. And I don't know about you, but I totally felt like one of these things is not like the other. Like, what was I doing there? (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm sitting next to like the, the CMO of Macy's is right there. And like the, the co-founder of the Tribeca Film Festival and like the woman from um, Law and Order SVU, who's now an entrepreneur, formerly married to Bobby Flay. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, who? I, I, someone like, I think the wires got crossed and I got the wrong email. Like I was, it's not supposed to go to me. I showed up. They were like, who are you? I, I just thought that was such an awesome night. It was a great night. It was a tremendous honor. Um, I attended along with our former president of the WNBA, Laurel Ritchie. And it was a night that I just felt, I felt so much good energy. I felt really empowered and being surrounded by so many young women with mm-hmm. promise, um, rising stars such as yourself, and then so many accomplished women. I Like you said, I had to pinch myself sitting at the table thinking, you know, what am I doing right now? I am having dinner with the CMO, <laughs> Chase, and, and we're just chatting it up. But there were so many like lessons learned, and I just felt such a strong sense of community. And there's nothing more that I love getting together a bunch of like strong, empowered, smart, fun women and mm-hmm. um, just dishing a little bit. What, what could be more fun than that? No, nothing. And it was delicious food. And Rebecca Minkoff, who later came on my podcast, and I've since been to her store and given some financial advice. It's kind of weird, right? Going to a retail store to give financial advice, but actually like that's a great target market for me because it's young women um, who are, you know, in the context of shopping and it worked out really well. So Megan, tell me a little bit about your experience working with the WNBA. Um, Let's start there. Obviously you come to this with an athletic background. You were a basketball player in college, division one at Cornell University. And now you've transitioned over to the business side of the, of the industry. Do you like it? Right. You know what? I do. I love it. Um, I like to say that basketball has been in my blood for probably since the time I was five or six years old. Um, I really can't imagine my life without basketball. Um, and it's been a great experience. I'm eight years in and I can't believe it's been that long. It's passed so quickly. Uh, but what I really love is I obviously love the game. But I'm so passionate about how we can help grow the game and grow and showcase the personalities and the fabulous women that make up the WNBA. Um, and I just don't see a better fit for myself. It is just something that, like I said, it's in my blood. And mm-hmm. um, I knew very early on I wanted to play basketball at the highest level possible. Um, and when my playing days were over, I hung up my sneakers and figured out how could I contribute at the highest level possible. And I just feel blessed to be able to walk into the game at the professional level um, and be an eight year strong. It's just, it's incredible. It's a true blessing. How do you feel about being a woman and in a man's in a man's industry, I mean, like this is a perfect example, right? Like some might say that I'm a woman in a man's industry because I work in the financial industry. Um, what's that dynamic like for you? You know, it's funny. I actually sit in a very unique position. Um, and I would say so back in 2015, right before um, our president, Laurel Ritchie, stepped down, um, my every day is so unique. I walk into an office and I I'm between our president, Laurel Ritchie, who is an African-American woman, um, you know, running a professional sports franchise and our vice president um, and chief of basketball operations, Randy Brown, another African-American woman. So it's like our number one, number two <laughs> every single day wow. in my office. And it's it's a very unique situation, both minorities, both females, both very empowered. Um, so in that sense, I, I walk into 
a circumstance where I can see a real live example before me of what's possible. But then I can also go down two or three floors or go out to a meeting and see the exact opposite and be immersed in a room full of of men um, and or people that just have no kind of um, exposure to or regard for female athletics in general. And I consider that a challenge. It's something I want to embrace. And I'm passionate about helping expose people to the game, the athlete, so you can see it for what it is. You can get to know it. And once you get exposed to it, I mean, the, most people, they, they continue to come back and support us and they really don't have anything negative to say. So um, for me, it's an incredible experience, but something I take very seriously. I, I, I want to be a part of that change. You are also working in front of the camera as an analyst. How do you, do you like doing that? Or do you see yourself maybe moving more towards that as a full-time career someday? Yeah, absolutely. I spend so much time watching the game. I travel around the country um, looking at, you know, some of our top college prospects. I spend a lot of time during our WNBA season at our games with our current athletes and talking to former athletes and players. And it's so funny. I'll come home and I'll sit and I'll turn on ESPN and I'm looking at a player and I have the same notes on maybe a Skylar Diggins or an Elena Deladon that the broadcasters are like echoing across a national television. And I was just set one day and I was like, maybe I should put the two together. Um, I want to have a mark in this game and I want to have a voice. And a couple of years ago, I just decided I would give it a try, like figure out what is broadcasting. Cause I feel like I have a lot to share and I, I want to make sure people hear what I have to say. So I put on a headset. <laughs> I went and volunteered Good my for time you. downtown. Yeah. I went downtown in Brooklyn um, to St. Francis College, which is a division one school. And they were kind enough to allow me to sit in a broadcast booth and learn a little bit on the fly. And I really, really enjoyed it. It's something that I would definitely like to pick up more on a full-time basis um, as I've gotten more exposure over the past couple of years. Um, did my first national broadcast last year uh, with CBS Sports. I broadcasted Ivy League basketball, Princeton women that went undefeated that year. And and Penn University. So um, it's something that I definitely see me doing more of in my future. I, I want to have a voice in this game. And what what other what better way, you know, what better way than to pick up a mic and <laughs> start mm-hmm. talking? Mm-hmm. So I've been looking at some of the news around the WNBA. And I read that as they are preparing for their 20th season this year, this May, that they have a new marketing campaign called Watch Me Work. What's the idea behind that? Do you think there are some preconceived notions about the WNBA player that the, that the league is trying to dispel? I would say absolutely. You know what? It's so funny. And in honor of today, which is National Girls and Women in Sports Day, it's something that the WNBA is really trying to take ownership of. And today we launched a pretty big um, social media campaign around National Girls and Women in Sports Day and um, released our 20th season um, anniversary video and with the tag Watch Me Work. And Watch Me Work is supposed to embody um, you know, watch me do my craft, watch me, watch me elevate, watch me shine, watch me in my element and whatever that is, you know, for our athletes, that's watch them in the weight room, watch them on the floor, watch them work it on the catwalk afterwards, you know, looking so fierce and whatever they choose to, to wear after game day. And they're out and about just being the, their normal selves out of uniform, um, for, our non-athletes, for the people that support the league, for our broadcasters, for uh, PR, watch them work. All the people that cover the game, watch how eloquently um, they're able to 
to broadcast and speak and describe what's going on in and around the game. That's what the campaign is about. Like for the naysayers that say, oh, you know, girls can't play or whatever the negative stereotypes that there are out there. I don't even want to give them life by repeating them. <laughs> it's saying, well, take a minute, like watch me work, watch me do my thing. Um, and, and it's a bit of a challenge, right? It's a bit of a challenge to other people, like get involved, like show me what you can do. So that's what it's about. <laughs> that's what it's about. I love it. How's it working? How are you measuring its success? Um, well, it's, it's new. So we actually just kicked off the, um, our television spot just ran last Saturday during the Cavaliers game and the Twitter campaign launched today in coordination with National Girls and Women's Sports Day. So I think it's a little bit early to really see how it's received. But thus far, just across social media, I mean, we've engaged a number of different platforms and have nothing but positive feedback thus far. So um, I would say it's looking upwards. Great. Megan, let's talk money. Sure. I'd love do. to pick your brain about, uh, I'm like, to ask you some so many questions. Do you have a financial philosophy? You're a young professional, married, and living in Brooklyn, actually, if I, if I can say. I'd like to yes, give shout outs yes. to Brooklyn whenever possible. Where, so given all that as a context, what's your financial philosophy on things? If you have a money mantra of sorts, I'd love to hear it. My money mantra is around, it's not so much about what you make, it's what you spend. <laughs> and I try to be more conscious of what is going out than worried so much about what is coming in. Um, I'm a person of faith and I just believe that, you know, things will be taken care of in the end. But I really do try to control what I can control. Mm -hmm. And that is my spending habits <laughs> and try to make sure that those are balanced. And that's a daily struggle. I mean, hmm. like you said, I'm young. I'm living in New York City. There are a lot of things that you want to do and be a part of. And uh, there's always something to buy. What's um, your biggest challenge? Like what's your weakest? Uh, oh gosh, my weak point. point? Um, yeah. Well, let me give you an example. So every day when I come into work, I come in through Rockefeller um, Center. Mm. And I remember very <laughs> early on coming, coming off the orange line and being bombarded by Starbucks. I love me a Starbucks coffee or yeah. tea, but there were three Starbucks on the way to work that every single morning I had to ignore <laughs> three of them. By the time I got off the train into my office, I had to say no three times. Uh, and that's just something small, but that's difficult for me. And I didn't do a good job of saying no early on. Um, I would go and I would get my latte in the morning and I would go take a break and get one for lunch. And my greedy self would have one before I got on the train <laughs> on the way home. And that's a good 20, $20 or something oh, yeah. that's going out of my pocket um, effortlessly every single day. And that's something that I can control. I mean, there's health benefits to you know reducing your sugar intake. Um, and there were financial benefits to that too. So I learned to cut back and really um, evaluate, analyze what am, what can I do without? Do I really need that? Mm -hmm. um, or is it just casual? Is this just a casual spend? And, and then I can tighten that up. Do you have a slush fund of sorts to allow you to at least, you know, indulge in some of your desires, spending desires occasionally? Oh, absolutely. And my husband would tell you that I do more indulging sometimes than uh, <gasps> I truly uh, talk about and give myself credit for. I think that's so important. Um, I think for every young woman, especially my mom always taught me, make sure you have yours. I, I always have a stash of whatever I need to take care of Megan, whatever Megan likes to do, um, because we work hard every single day, but you work hard 
to be able to take care of yourself. And so if you're not putting aside something to be able to do some of the things you like to do and to reward yourself, then what are you working for? So I I definitely take some time um, to do something for myself. I mean, I love going to the nail salon. I don't know about other girls, but I really enjoy what's wrong with you. Right. You know, but I know I love picking out the colors and figuring out maybe some, a new little twist or design, something like that. But that's something I regularly treat myself to. And it doesn't have to be big. Um, it could be something small, you know, whatever suits you. But I definitely make sure I find a treat for myself, um, you know, every once in a while. When the payday comes around, I'm doing something that that's good for Megan. Good for you. How did you learn about money growing up? Was it ever something that you recall being kind of a big issue in the house or just a, a, maybe you had like a really vivid money memory as a kid that now as an adult, you look back on it and you're like, you know, that taught me a lot. Whether it was a good experience or a bad experience, love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, my earliest money memory, I have to take it back to my days growing up in Charlottesville, Virginia. I learned a lot from my father early on. Um, and he has this system <laughs> where every, I would watch him when I was probably like eight or nine years old, I would watch him on a Saturday afternoon, lay all these envelopes out on the table. And he would so meticulously fill the envelopes with cash or tag them with post-it notes about what that, what, where that envelope needs to go and what he needs to do with it. That was my dad's, what, that was his system. That was him budgeting. And that taught me about planning and watching him go through and figure out what needs to go where to keep the household going. I internalized that. And when I got older, I realized when I got my own, it's like, Megan, what is the plan? (laughs) Um, Money wasn't something that, you know, I grew up in in a household where my parents always provided whatever we needed. It wasn't that we always had the most lavish things, but we had exactly what we needed. Um, And I understood the value of work (laughs) as well. Um, But he taught me that in order to have, in order to make it stretch to do the things you want to do, you have to plan. And as ridiculous as this system looked with all these envelopes laid out across the table and take them all day to sort it out, it just taught me that you can have what you want. You can do what you want. You just have to plan, right? And you have to have some control over it. Are you planning for anything big right now? I am. I am. As much as I love Brooklyn, um, I'm interested in getting a little bit more space (laughs) to live in. Um, So my husband and I are looking forward to being able to buy a house. We are on the track to do that within the next two years. Um, And one day we'll start a family as well because um, there are no kids in the household. But those are two things that we are definitely have our sights on and um, trying to slowly build towards being able to do those things comfortably. I wish you the best. And until those kids arrive, go to a lot of movies, eat a lot of dinners out. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't feel travel, bad Marge. about spending money on yourself because you never will again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get it in while I can. I certainly will not hesitate. <laughs> what would you say if you've ever experienced one is your greatest financial failure? What did you learn? Oh, absolutely. Um, I call it trying to keep up with the Joneses. And very early on in my career, when I, when I moved from Virginia to New York to start my work at the NBA, I, um, I moved to Brooklyn and I had a great roommate. Uh, but at the time I thought 
oh, I don't want to live in Brooklyn. I want to know what Manhattan is all about. And, you know, my starting salary really was not enough <laughs> for me to be able to support myself. That's why it's a starting um, salary. <laughs> right. In my in, in apartment <laughs> in midtown Manhattan um, comfortably. And I got myself together the, for after the first year living in Brooklyn. And I thought I was so cute that I was going to go and I was going to rent an apartment in midtown Manhattan and that that was going to be the best thing ever. And mm. I was headed, you know, I was moving forward onto the next level. And I really learned a lot about um, really putting the cart before the horse. I was not ready for the financial impact that it actually had um, and the value of saving. When I had that apartment in, in Midtown, it was a studio apartment and I was responsible for covering everything. And I learned a lot. Like, actually, I learned just how far my money went and I, I learned that I didn't really have enough to save. So I was literally going paycheck to paycheck because I really just overstretched myself. And that was unnecessary. I learned that if I could be patient, if I would just wait it out and I saved <laughs> instead of just making a move out of emotion, yeah. I probably would have been a lot better off. But at the moment, I just wanted to be you know, where I thought it was well, cool and fashionable to be and wasn't what worked for me at that time. Right. There's a real love affair with New York, you know, that many of us have, myself included. And especially when you're, you'd first move here, you want to, you kind of want to create that friends that for me, right. it's like I grew up with the friends show, like I'm probably dating myself. No, kind of sad I, to say, hey, but same, same yeah, time, you same want time. that West Village apartment with the huge yes. sunken windows and sunken living room. And like that apartment was rent stabilized, which means that it was well below market. If that was actually <laughs> at cost at market, it would have been like $7,000 a month, you know, at least. Yeah. Um, so I find that a lot of young people coming out of school, especially with no financial background, and of course, you've got the great job. You went from making no money to some money, even though it's a starting salary. It's like you just win the lottery. But then, right. you know, you do end up spending half that first paycheck on rent easily, if not more. It's, it's a, it's a fast way to get behind, as I say, the financial eight ball, unless you get out of that quickly, which sounds like you did. I did. And I mean, like I said, that was my huge financial fail, but I learned a very big lesson and a very hard lesson quickly. I put, I dug a hole for myself unnecessarily. Um, and I've been able to recover fortunately, mm -hmm. but I, I learned just don't jump because someone else says it looks good. Don't, <laughs> not everything that glitters is gold, but to live within your means and in due time, you can get whatever you want, but you have to have a plan. Um, stick to that plan and be patient, have some patience with it. I just was too quick to hop and do what I thought was the cool thing to do. Cool. All right. Let's talk about success. What's yes. Yeah, let's, <laughs> um, what's something that you're really proud of in your financial life? Your so money moment. Oh gosh, my so money moment. It's more of a personal moment. It was actually, um, when I moved, decided to move back to Brooklyn with my now husband, um, we had a moment in time where, you know, things were rough for a little bit and we saved up, um, and quite a, a large amount of money together for our wedding in 2013. And that my so money moment being able to know that 
I was able to put on a, a fantastic affair to enjoy with my husband and my family and friends at that time. That was so, um, it was so satisfying, uh, to be able to see the fruit of my labor for me on that day and, and during the honeymoon. <laughs> um, that, that was my moment where I went, aha, like a little bit of work, a little bit of time and a plan. Look what you can do for yourself. So it was two snaps to that. I was, I was thrilled. <laughs> thrilled on, on my wedding day. That was a moment where I looked back and I, like I said, I was just able to see what I had worked so hard for come to life. What was the strategy that you and your husband implemented? And, and, uh, was it easier than I think a lot of couples experience some hardship when it comes to getting on the same page financially? What's that? What was that like for the two of you? Um, it was, well, we actually wound up, we opened up a joint, um, like savings account, and that was actually the first, the biggest step of it all. But for me, I learned about teamwork. It wasn't that I had to do something all by myself. I was able to formulate a plan. We had a goal. We, we actually forecasted out and we were like, by this time, we want to have this amount of money. And we backed that plan out and said, okay, well, this is what it looks like month to month. These are the sacrifices that we would need to make to be able to meet this goal and our together, us working together and made it fun. Um, and we were able to achieve that. There were little things that we did. Like my husband all of a sudden became an avid cyclist. So instead of going and buying his weekly Metro card or taking cab rides into work over the summer, he got on his bike <laughs> and he cycled from Brooklyn into Manhattan every single day. And I didn't do it every day, but on the days that it worked for me, I would follow him in. And so we saved a lot of money on transportation and we were getting great exercise and I was getting in fantastic shape for my wedding dress. <laughs> um, so we learned to do little things that, you know, we, we were, we identified what were those unnecessary spins um, and how could we kind of curb them for a bit and learn, learn to do something new in the process together. Um, that's kind of how we went about it and it worked. It was teamwork really. Okay. Number one money habit. Do you do anything regularly, semi-regularly that directly helps your financial health? I do. I subscribe to alerts, um, regarding my, for my checking account. Like, so every single morning when I wake up, I know exactly how much money is in my account and I can look and see how much I spent and on what, and that was my biggest mistake years ago. I was at the point where I would spend, 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 and I knew I was overspending, but I chose to ignore it. And that got me obviously into some trouble. And I decided, no, you can't just ignore it. You have to face it. Know what's in your account. Like be, be in touch, be knowledgeable. And to be ignorant to it, you're just creating a larger problem for yourself. So every morning when I wake up, I check my email and I'm very, um, I'm very, I'm very much so on top of uh, what my financial situation is day to day, rather than waiting for me to find out that maybe it's not so good down the line. I'm in touch daily. Awesome. Okay, Megan, let's do some so money fill in the blanks, shall we? Oh, this yes. is when I start. Yes. <laughs> I start a sentence, you finish it, and don't overthink these. Okay. The okay. if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I do is. Buy a house. <laughs> would you move out of New York or stay here? I would move out of New York and I would move to a climate where it is sunny probably 10 months out of the year with a warm climate so I can get up and go running outside 
every single day because <laughs> I love my morning workouts outside. Um, so absolutely, I would buy a house, probably staying on the West Coast, but I moved down south um, where the temperatures are a little bit kinder. To it's you during funny the to think about that because when you were younger and had no money, you wanted desperately to live in New York. And now, yes. <laughs> given the opportunity to spend millions and millions of dollars, you would, the first thing you do is leave. <laughs> City. I would leave because I just want, I want more space. So looking forward though, trying to build and grow my family, mm. I want to be able to get a little bit more from my dollar moving south, but in no way would I give up what I have in New York. I would try to actually keep both. <laughs> right on. One thing, how about this? One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? My gym membership. <laughs> I have to be so real and honest with that one. Um, I'm a member at Equinox and I love working out. I love having a resource, someplace to go at anywhere in the city. I have access to all the locations and that's my treat to myself. So whether it's just a workout, if it's going to the spa, if it is literally dropping my bag, changing real quick because I have somewhere to go out to, I have a resource in the city that, and it's something that it, that works specifically for me. And, mm -hmm. um, I contribute to that. A lot of people say, Oh, gym membership, you pay too much. Well, Nope. It's something that makes me feel good. And it, when I need something, I, it's a place where I can go and I can lean on. So definitely uh, that's what gives to me, me being able to work out and have a place to go where, uh, where I'm comfortable. How about this? One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Hmm. Taxi cabs. And I know my Brooklynites understand that. <laughs> do you Uber give, or do you actually I use give, yeah, no, I, I give way too much money to Uber. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'm definitely not opposed to the old fashioned way of standing out and handing, hailing a cab. Um, it just sometimes I don't feel like doing the grind <laughs> of sure. getting on the train and it could be a long oh, yeah. way between Manhattan and Brooklyn. It's but, a luxury. Um, we get it. It is. It's, it is. It's one of those things where at the end of the day, girl, I just want to take my heels off and sit down and ride. I get it. And also you can <laughs> stay on your phone. Yes. I justify it sometimes because I'm like, well, I get to continue to work. I'm more productive. Listen, so true. I have a lot so of, true. I have a lot of excuses for why I take <laughs> private Arnie, That is a key, that is a key insight. Um, I think that is, that's so significant because for me, it's, it's not just being able to do work, but communicating with family as well. At the end of the day, it's mm -hmm. like, I would like to use that 30 or 40 minutes probably in a cab and traffic. Totally. Give my mom a call. Give my dad a call. See what my friends are up to. Why not? All right. Now, um, the one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is that it does not grow on trees. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry for the cliche. However, um, I wish I had really learned and seen more of what it takes to garner that dollar. Mm -hmm. I feel very blessed to be in a position where there were a lot of things provided to me and I didn't necessarily fully understand how they got there. Um, but now being an adult, I understand just, you know, a little bit more about what it takes. Um, but I wish that I had a little bit more insight early on exactly, you know, how much grunt work goes into it. Doesn't grow on trees, as my dad would always say. And I would just kind of roll my eyes like, yeah, dad, whatever. But um, I really now understand <laughs> a little bit more about that. Dad was right. Sure. All right. And last but not least, I'm Megan Perry. I'm so money because... Oh, uh, because what other way is there to be? Because I'm on top of my game, because I'm fierce, because I'm fabulous, <laughs> because it's 2016. Yeah. 
Woman, you're awesome. I love you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm so happy we got to reconnect. Wishing you continued success. I can't wait to see you more on television. Oh, great. Farnish, thank you for having me. It was absolutely a pleasure. And um, I'll hold you to that. I look forward to seeing you and seeing some of our listeners out there. 